Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I don't like the phrase treating a patient with compassion. I like the idea of being a compassionate person for a healthy human community. When one thinks about treating a patient with compassion, there implies that maybe there's a time you don't treat them. Hopefully a, a healer is very humble, that they're open to new healing things. They have a good sound basis in the things that they know, that they're not afraid to refer, that they have a wide variety of people to refer to, that they do a follow-up and a long enough history to have a real sense of knowledge about the person. But the first step in health are all the things that are healthy. <laughs> on the individual level, all the wellness things, on the, on the human level and being healthy in your relationships and knowing really how to be a friend and to love all of humanity. And then environmental health, health of political systems, that, that the range of importance of health in the entire human world and in the non-human world is, is being well. How's it going today, Patcher? <laughs> Lars, it's the best day of my life. So you woke up this morning and what happened? Well, I, I knew that this was the best day of my life. Hey, sir, how's your day going? You know, thanks for asking. It's the best day of my life. Welcome to the best day of my life, Patch Adams' journey to the Nobel Peace Prize nomination with Patch and Lars Adams. I'm producer Rainbow Valentine, and this episode is all about things that start with a letter H, health, healing, humans, and Patch's hospital. Laughter is the shortest distance that connects people in some intimate, soulful way. You know, if you can laugh together, not take yourself so seriously. Hmm. And this is our task as humanitarian clones, to remind each other of our shared humanity. And laughter, you know, cloning has been around since the beginning of time. It's a universal character in the human unconscious that serves this interesting purpose. Lighten the mood, help people look at the landscape from another perspective. The clown, the jester, the fool, I use those synonymously, can get away with saying stuff that other people can't. You know, you can say that the emperor is not wearing any clothes and get away with it. And it's your obligation to do that, to stir, to awaken, uh, to tell what we think is some kind of ethic of morality that deals with empathy and kindness. The critical elements to somehow allowing us to live in community. You know, most of us keep our lives kind of under wraps, our light bulb covered with lampshades of fear and self-doubt and 
self-criticism, uncertainties, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the task in our lives is to take off the lampshades, you know, uh, so that you can allow the light below to shine. This is what clowning allows us to, uh, to touch. That's Dr. Carl Hammerschlag, a psychiatrist, humanitarian clown, and one of Patch's best friends, whose life and medical practice was changed when he met Patch. We're going to hear more from him later. Hospital was never a hospital. It was wherever house we were living in was the hospital. Oh, there's a house. There's a hospital. That's Patch's older brother, Wildman, who we met in episodes two and three. So there was never what you would call a hospital. But there was a healing environment under a roof, and it was inviting. And there were no surgeries, or what the Europeans call surgeries, treatment rooms, because maybe somebody felt more comfortable outside. Some of the treatments are under a tree. And it's whatever the, the doctors, and many of them the doctors had to see, but many of them other people could help. Uh, healing is not just physical, it's intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. A sanctuary. And not everybody. Most people found a way to feel safe enough to open up enough to get what they needed. And when they did that, I felt blessed, a moment of grace. Here's a person trusted me enough to give me stuff that most people wouldn't tell their mother. And they're telling me. And I tried to respect it, to take it in. Keep it as a loving message. I need a happy, funny, thoughtful mind to keep me loving, cooperative, creative all the time. Then you know I'll be feeling fine. I need a happy, funny, thoughtful mind to keep me loving, cooperative, and creative all the time. Then you know it's like that sun will shine. After you guys closed the clinic, you, you didn't give up on your dream and you developed it further into your the vision of your dream hospital. Parallel to all of the experiments that we've done has been this dream of a 40-bed rural primary care hospital in West Virginia on our 312 acres of land. That's Lars and his dad at Patch's house together. So this episode was going to just be about Patch's hospital, the Gesundheit Institute, which Patch is describing. But ultimately, while editing, we realized this episode is about holistic healing and health, which is what Patch's hospital and philosophy is all about. So you're going to hear about Patch's free hospital, both the dream one and the one opened during the commune years, along with stories about healing and health inspired by Patch's ethos. And to have 120 staff live there as a communal eco-village, and the staff would be as much farmers as they would have uh, up to 10 physicians there, and complementary healers as well, homeopathy, naturopathy, Ayurvedic, anthroposophic, uh, acupuncture, that it would not be tertiary care, this is medical lingo, primary care are are not transplants or major surgeries. We would do minor surgery. We could do an appendectomy, 
We, I would not tell the staff to do non-pharmaceutical psychiatry, but I certainly will do non-pharmaceutical psychiatry. I think originally we would be there for the people local to West Virginia, however local that meant for them. But I think that we would also have space to accept some outpatients from or inpatients from foreign countries and around the U.S. We'll have a theater, put on plays. Can you tell the listeners your vi like your vision of what the architecture and the rooms and buildings would be like? There will be a part of land where the hospital would be built. Since I'm not gonna be the dictator that whether or not the living residents and the hospital are one building or separate buildings, there would be a part of the land where a staff person that after they live there for four years, five years, they could have their own single family dwelling if they really needed that. I mean, I certainly don't perceive myself living in that kind of arrangement, but it might be something that people want. In one of the designs that has from the past, there was a, a fun room with a giant whoopee cushion that would require multiple people to jump on. Well, that would be great. There doesn't exist a multiple person whoopee cushion, but I think if we got closer to building that the whoopee cushion people would be happy to build one. <laughs> When you have a 50-year-old project, a lot of the people that were thinking about it earlier aren't even living anymore. I have this fantasy person in South Africa, Piet, who says he's gonna find us $370 million that would build a hospital and endow it. And in that case, we'll become ferocious about having meetings and finding out who the people would live there. What I tell people now publicly is that their salary would be $400 a month. That uh, You've been saying that for so many years, and I would say it doesn't take into account inflation, which if you looked at the inflation of what $400 was when you started uh, having that proposal to what, what that would be today, it, it would be well over a thousand dollars. Well, I, I think it was 200 at the beginning. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think, I think we're really interested in finding a way for it to be as low as it possibly can be. Can I ask you a question, Pat, just how, re, you know, reality, how do you expect humans to live in America, even West Virginia on $400 a month? Well, let's say they're not paying any rent or car insurance or any of that stuff. That's, that's what they need to live and their food is there for them. And so it would really be basically when they take a break. So they would be insured their cars. I mean, I say their car, but most likely if they really have decided to live there, the car is a Gesundheit car. I think nuclear family is the number one reason we're gonna be extinct in a hundred years from now and that we are looking for other ways of being. And there's a real desire at Gesundheit to show that you don't nearly need as much money when that many people are living together as when two people are living together. And we're gonna have to learn these things. We're gonna learn, oops, we needed more or we needed less. And so we will find out those things and deal with it.
In my life, I can remember you often talking about what the experience would be like uh, for the patient if they came there. And I'm seeing in our country and in the world a destigmatization around mental health, and people are more forward in talking about it. And I see Gesundheit, it's in the middle of nowhere, Appalachia on the side of a mountain. It's an incredible place to explore community mental health healing because so much of mental we're still in a moment of destigmatizing mental health and becoming more open to talking about it and treating it and the importance of it but so much of it is still grounded and based on the individual and not in on a communal level and I think an important part of the Gesundheit Hospital and Vision as you as somebody who's been suicidal and in mental hospitals when you were younger and then clowning in them throughout your life. It, I really see the land and Gesundheit vision and as an incredible place to explore what's possible in healing and community mental health. Well, I, you know, I'm a family doctor. I never gave a psychiatric diagnosis or a psychiatric medication. We are very interested in mental health. We don't like any, I don't like any of the diagnoses. I think that most, quote, what is called mental illness comes from a loss of tribal life, unconnected to nature and unconnected to the arts. If, if I'm doing, quote, therapy there, I would look for who is hurting the most and show how being with a tree can change how they're feeling. A lot of what we did was really mental health um, and what Pavs is really good at, you know, was being, being, we were, basically we were there to listen and open to whatever weirdness you had. You know, we accepted all weirdnesses. That's Lars's mom, Linda, who we met in the last episode, and she's talking about the free hospital that was part of the Zanies commune. There was this young man who showed up at the house, at the ranch, Fairfax, with a birthday cake. And he said, I, I don't have anyone to celebrate my birthday with, but I heard that you all are really open and loving and I thought I'd come to celebrate my birthday with you. So we had this most wonderful, impromptu birthday party for him. You know, with lots of people, candles, other food. I mean, we, you know, it just wound up being this great little party for this guy. Never saw him again. He never came back again. But people knew that we were open. And if there was trouble, and if they were troubled, um, they knew they could come to us and they'd be accepted. It, it just kind of morphed everything. You know, somebody would come in as a patient, as they would label themselves as a patient, but what they really were was someone who was looking for accepting friends. And the next thing they know, they weren't a patient anymore, they were friends and they were part of our community. You know, they were part of us. And, you know, they may, they may have come at a party or they may have, you know, they may come and leave right away like the, the, the man with the birthday cake, or they may come and stay there for weeks, you know, depending on, on what the need was. Yeah. Um, 
And there were times when we had to say, no, I was always, if the kids feel uncomfortable with somebody who's here. And there were, there were times where some people were really crazy. And if the kids got scared, then we'd have to draw the line and say, okay, um, the kids are our barometer. You know, if, if the children are scared, then we need to reevaluate if this person can really be here. Because, um, you know, safety. And I think that's one of the things that eventually pulled a lot of the people apart um, at the rocks. Um, that some people came and um, didn't have the original passion. You know, they came under the boyfriend, girlfriend clause or whatever, you know. came as, and So they weren't um, committed to it like the core, the original of us were. And that's what led to that breakdown. You know, because it is intense. It's very intense living with patients, living, you know, day in and day out. Um, you could strain the cooking. You never knew if you're going to be cooking for 12 people or you're going to be cooking for 50 people any one day. It's like, oh, is 16 loaves of bread I'm making a week enough or... Yeah, and when you're taking care of other people's mental health, like where's the time to take care of your own mental health? I just want to feel good and you need a happy, funny, thoughtful mind. Keep me loving, cooperative, creative all the time. Oh, and I'll be feeling fine. and Patch together at Patch's house. I was just at Gesundheit uh, a week ago. Just to clarify, Patch owns the land for his free hospital. It's in West Virginia. And there are buildings on the land, but it's still in need of an endowment to make the free hospital operational. Experiences like gathering, having a circle before every meal with everybody who's present on the land, before you have a meal together, introducing each other, making everybody feel a part of the community, yeah, or having everybody feel a part of the community, and then share in silly ritual, like uh, something I experienced so much as a child was eating out of a trough without utensils. They would set up a trough on the front lawn in front of the farmhouse, and cover it in plastic and then they would serve everybody's portion on the trough and then we would all eat like animals out of the trough together but most of all i love mud for hours i love 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 being a pig you know normally the meal is so serious and you know like everybody wants to have fun and also eat or make a mess even if you're with a bunch of clowns you're still like orderly and you're not all eating out of a trough necessarily and so to to have that experience there in community whether they're old friends or new friends or people you're just meeting is a different bonding experience than what you would encounter at a normal hospital or clinic or healing center. Oh, hospital should be fun. Hospital should be nice. Hospital should be fun and nice. Hospital should be fun. Hospital should be nice. Hospital should be fun and nice. And all the doctors should be your friends. 
Oh, they say that laughter is the best medicine. Hospital should be fun. Hospital should be nice. And then another uh, ritual that happens at Gesundheit is a mud pit. To get into the mud and cover yourself in the mud with their new and old community is also a completely different type of healing, silly ritual. That's right, it's there. And it's a labor of love. Making a proper mud pit the way you like it, it requires a lot of effort, digging a deep hole and then sifting all the dirt, getting all the rocks and everything out. It's a it's a physical effort. And then you're doing that in community and it's, it takes days. It took us three days to make a mud pit last week, but it was so worth it when we were finally able to all enjoy the fruits of our labor and be totally ridiculous in a mud pit. That's why we do it. I love mud on my snout. I love mud all about. I love, love, love being a pig. I love to feel the sunshine. I love mud all the time. And I love being a swine, <laughs> a pig. And so seven of you made this mud pit. Yeah, well, I had a couple more friends come out. That also helped. It sounds um, amazing. It sounds like camp, but yeah. Different. Adults need summer camp, too. I work my meat suit every day and play my ukulele. Keeps the meat sticks on my meat palms. Nimble and firm like Olympic gymnast worms. Now let's imagine a team of Olympic gymnastic worms. They are so cute in their meat worm suits with leotards. Doing hard things like round off. Olympic gymnastic worms working hard in worm leotards to achieve worm gymnastic dreams. That's my routine, just like the worm dreams. We all have routines. The worms have routines, gymnastic routines. I have routines. Have a routine. It's great. It's an amazing property to have that experience at. Right, with a four-acre lake and three waterfalls. I mean, with a creative imagination and funsters living there, those sorts of things will go on all the time. I'm planning on having a creative retreat out there in the springtime and getting a lot of my friends out there to start dreaming because it for me patch it was the first time i've been to gesundheit where my people my age were the ones managing the land yeah i i think the clarity that's really important is this is a wonderful dream that needs funding and i get letters from a fair number of doctors and nurses who said they would love to work there i'm paralyzed by our low income and I ask all the time. I don't know how many other askers we have, but I'm asking all the time, every day. The need is great. The journey is fun. I don't get discouraged. So while Patch is fundraising for his dream free hospital and clowning in the world's most dangerous and dire places, we'll get into that later, his philosophies on love, fun, and health have spread to other medical professionals who are implementing Patch's joyful approach to healing. 
One of those people is Dr. Carl, a psychiatrist who we heard at the beginning of the episode. What do you love about Carl? And he calls us relatives. Hello, relatives. Hello, relatives. And he, like me, is an older hippie. And he, you know, seeing him walk into a refugee camp in his pink tutu and pink leotards is something else, something to behold wherever he walks in that costume is is beautiful to behold. Who is Carl? Well, he's a psychiatrist. You know, it's interesting. Our relationship has almost been outside of medicine the entire time. That he, he's a person that, you know, maybe our first contacts was love and respect. I felt loved and respected by him. And then we started to play together, and I also saw he was Nazi, and that he liked Nazi. Uh, my name is Carl Hammerschlag. I am uh, a psychiatrist. I am a humanitarian clown. I am a storyteller, and I am a healer, I think. So that's, uh, you know, who I am. I'm 82 years old. It's been an interesting life experience. Is my uncle Carl, and I call him Uncle Carl because he is my cosmic uncle and the cosmic brother to my father. I'm wondering if you can tell the story of how you and Patch met. So I met your father first time in the early 90s. We were both speaking at a dental convention in Keystone, Colorado. He was on the day before doing a workshop on what is your love strategy, in which he talks about, you know, what your dad talks about, uh, how it is you come to people lovingly, and how it changes the nature of your your healing power, and how it is that one expresses that kind of love, how many ways there are to tell that story. And uh, I came the day before, I checked into the hotel, I joined the meeting just to see what he was doing. And uh, he gets this group of dentists to uh, join him and go out into the streets of Silverton. I mean, lily white community in the middle of the Rocky Mountains and takes this ensemble of dentists who he tells to dress up in whatever they can find in the room. Uh, Lampshades and bedspreads didn't make any difference. And we'd give them a nose in the lobby. And I figured not a lot of dentists are going to come. You know, this is, you know, kind of a degree of spontaneity that it seemed to me was absolutely contrary to uh, to the makeup. And the, there were about 50 dentists uh, show up. And he takes them, gives them all noses, takes them on the street, and, and they clown. I join them just to see what's going on. And there was a riot uh, watching watching this ensemble. And I figured, you know, anybody who can do this with a group of healthcare professionals is somebody that I need to spend some time with. So we spoke afterwards and exchanged kind of numbers, addresses, kind of thing. That was how we met. He did it again, caused trouble, hurt someone's feelings. Yet he didn't want to do it. Yes, troublesome people are often people in trouble. They may be mentally ill. Find out how you can help. Write Better Mental Health, Box 3000, New York 1, New York. It was months later. I had a gig in Washington, D.C. 
I was speaking in a uh, cold patch, and I said, uh, when we get together, I'm going to be in Washington. He invited me over to the house in Alexandria. And, uh, and so we had, we had this afternoon. Uh, and it just so happened on this day that he gets a package from a costume designer uh, out here in the West. And it's a costume of a toilet. It just happened to be there. And he says, look at this. So he takes out this, this toilet costume. It's got tight lycra uh, bodysuit unitard with hot and cold running kind of knobs on the chest and a toilet tank which fits like shoulder pads over your head. And the only thing you could see was your head sticking out of the toilet. Uh, so you had this toilet, this toilet tank, and your head kind of coming out. And I looked at this thing, and I said, I've got to put this on. I've got to put this on. I mean, this is what I do professionally. I mean, I am a toilet. People come to dump on me. And he says, it just so happens that I need to get a pair of white bucks to go with this costume. <laughs> and uh, uh, why don't you come with me? Put it on. And, you know, it's like that Godfather invitation that you can't refuse. And I had always been a clown, I mean. And I'd known something about the sacredness of clowns in my work in Indian country and the potential, not only for their contrariness, but the sacred quality of the gift that they shared with people. But I'd never publicly clown. Uh, and he said, you don't have to say anything. As a matter of fact, just use this thing. And he gave me this stick that made farting sounds. And you push a button, and I mean, there would be this eruption of varying degrees of sound quality and length. Uh, and that was the only thing I could do. I had toilet paper rolls on on my on my belt and a and a plunger. I was the toilet man. So we get uh, dressed up. He would do all the talking. We were going to get some shoes. So we get to the second largest mall in America in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, and we go to the Tyson's Mall, and I'm you know squeezing the button. It's a psychiatrist's dream. I mean, to publicly be a toilet and to fart with absolute impunity, nobody has any idea. You know, people shit on me, I can somehow pass gas publicly, and it was absolutely ridiculous. And your father, of course, encouraged the more sound the better because of his innate peculiarity. And we go into the escalator and everybody scatters. Nobody gets on the escalator with us. I mean, we're going up the escalator alone. The only people who come up to you are kids. Kids love toilets and they love farting. You know, anything that invites a kid, it's, it's farting publicly. And so there I was, the kids were there. We walked into a shoe store. I walk in and your father looks around, there's nobody to be seen, the salespeople left. We were just alone on the sales floor. And then we walked into uh, what happened to be Nordstrom's, a store that uh, prides itself on customer service. And so we go in and we go to the shoe department and patch this to the shoe salesman, I want to buy a pair of white bucks from my toilet. And the salesman says, would you ask your toilet to sit down, sir?
<laughs> and I thought, I mean, this is what service is all about. I sit down. Uh, anyhow, we get we get a pair of white books uh, uh, that uh, Pat can wear with this. Day. We walk outside, and uh, next door is a Disney store, and there is Donald Duck and Goofy outside welcoming people in the store. They took one look at us and came over and said, can we have our picture taken with you? <laughs> From that moment on, I became a public clown. Wow. You met me on that trip. I, re- I vaguely remember meeting you on that on, trip. On that trip? Oh, you were nine years old, maybe. Yeah, I was a kid. One of my first memories of you is seeing you in the toilet costume. Huh. What was Patch wearing? Patch was wearing Patch. Oh, he was in his Patch. Yeah. Oh. And, you know, you touch the people who are ready to be touched, who hear what it is you're saying or unable to move. There are some people who don't hear it. There are some people who your dad pisses off. You know, that's what clowns are. That's what they do. Uh... But he has never been crippled by other people's perceptions of what he is and what he does. He pretty much says straightforwardly, here I am, here I am. And you can imagine the two of us together. I mean, you know, you've seen us. You're two peas in Uh, a pod. uh, When we walk together, I mean, we are ridiculous. Okay. Looking front or back, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just ridiculous. We uh, love each other and we test each other and we jerk each other's chain and we remind each other. Uh, you know, we play together. Uh, Old guys playing together. Yes. Um, it's a real treat to see you two together, uh, to see such kindred spirits, uh, both so different and so similar. Uh, when you're together, and I really appreciate that. And they say that laughter is the best medicine. <laughs> Hospital should be fun. Hospital should be nice. Hospital should be fun and nice. But uh, that experience opened me to coming from that heart awakened place, that open heart place without head. And my clown character is ridiculous. You know, it just invites people to laugh. I mean, they may not break down in hysterical laughter, but at least a giggle. I wear a tight pink bodysuit, like that lycra one I had on the toilet, man. Uh, A ballet unitard with a tutu and a flamingo headdress. And I am six foot six inches tall and uh, I I look uh, grotesquely big bird like and it uh, it makes it impossible to come to people you know just from your head and for me to let go of my head you know this thing that gets me through that become powerfully over invested uh, scientifically trained you know I trust what it is uh, I think and know and uh, and I tend to subordinate, you know, whatever spontaneity comes at the moment from art 
and especially as a, you know, degreed credentialed professional who's been writing books and speaks and teaches, you know, just to come from this unrehearsed place, this spontaneous place. And then discovered how how it's possible to talk to people who are having serious issues from this place in a short period of time, 15 minutes. You can sit down and talk to people and uh, actively listen, come without judgment and know that uh, somehow you can make a connection. And uh, for me, clowning, humanitarian clowning was a way to take off my head and just come from that place. Uh, and then expanded, you know, what I did with the clowning and to incorporate it into, you know, running street clinics and uh, training truth fairies, and, uh, yeah. which is what I want to be doing. mistake. You're making the mistake. Flint! Anyone can have an accident, but lying makes it worse. But Mom will be upset. She'll be even more upset if you lie. And how would you feel if Billy got punished? Face up to what you've done. Don't take the easy way out. We'll tell her we did it. Remember, it's better to tell the truth. And that's no lie. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Will you, um, please... Explain to us uh, the, what being a truth fairy is. The truth fairy first made an appearance at the Oregon Country Fair in the 90s. It had been going since 69. Uh, my kids had been going uh, for a very long time, and the truth fairy made an appearance publicly. I dressed up, uh, not with my flamingo headdress, but a wig and uh, curls and uh, a tutu and, uh, and my tights and... Uh, created a little space about 10 feet inside. There was a chair, two chairs, maybe three, if somebody wanted to come and I would talk to people. Three minutes with the truth fairy. You can ask whatever you wanted. You would hear something. Nobody had any idea who I was, uh, what I did uh, professionally. It was just, you know, you want to talk to somebody, but it had to be something, something, you know, a question you ask, but really we're not sure you wanted to hear the answer to. Those kind of questions. It was an extraordinary experience. First, I, it was hard to stay for three minutes, so it became five minutes. And there were some people who needed it a little longer, but people were standing in line for a short period of time to sit with the Truth Fairy. And there was a little sign said, The Truth Fairy. And in my international work, your father and I uh, were going to Iquitos, Peru. And it was there that uh, the Truth Fairy idea. Uh, went more public. There was a tremendous need, and especially women, to talk to somebody. You know, it's a machismo culture. Uh, women are by and large ignored, but to talk about anything. We were introduced as uh, healthcare professionals, and we would talk to anybody about anything. There were no pills, no diagnoses, no prescription, no nothing. Just talking. And it turns out that, you know, in 15 minutes you can share an enormous amount of intimacy with somebody who uh, is willing to listen. Even through a translator, I didn't speak Spanish fluently. So my interpreter, Rosa, told them what I was telling in language she knew that people would understand, you know, change whatever the metaphor to, to make it easily understandable. It was astounding. I said, do you think we could do this with more people if I brought more 
more health professional clowns. And by that, I mean anybody who worked with people, talked to them, whether they were social workers, psychologists, teachers, counselors, I mean, self-defined. And she said, yeah, that's how it began. And then for years, we ran these, what we called mental health clinics, but they were just <coughs> humanitarian clown connecting clinics. Uh, and the idea, you know, the dream is that we ought, to, we ought to have truth fairies available on street corners all over the world. I mean, subway stations, uh, violinists in the heart of Sarajevo during conflicts, people sitting at a border wall, just talking to people, knowing that somehow you are hurt, even if there is no more than making the connection of knowing that one cannot take away our shared humanity, no matter what we face. Next time you interact with anybody, next time you go to the 7-Eleven, or as we call it, the Sev. That's Patch's brother, Wildman, again. Go down to the Sev, find out who's behind, and say thank you and say their name. Just, it's one of those spiritual things that have helped me understand ways to get closer to other people. In a clown costume, I can do things to people that in a suit, there's no way I could do them. Saw that humor helped prevent burnout. It helped, uh, humor's a real hierarchy killer. That humor is a painkiller. Humor sets an environment for cooperation and people getting along. It really, as a communal person, it really was essential to make the commune fun. And relationally with lovers, it's essential to have great relationship with a partner. As a parent, I mean, the six qualities we insist on in a full-time staff at our hospital are happy, funny, loving, cooperative, creative, and thoughtful. Not as therapies, but as a context. If the environment is that way, it's the healthiest possible environment for our kind of medicine to then be practiced. funny, thoughtful mind to keep me loving, cooperative, creative all the time. Then you know I'll be feeling fine. I need a happy, funny, thoughtful mind to keep me loving, cooperative, and creative all the time. Then you know it's like that sun will shine. So many troubles in the world I don't know what to say Oh, uh, what can you do? I just want to feel good And you need a happy, funny, thoughtful mind Keep me loving, cooperative, creative all the time Oh, and I'll be feeling fine six episodes have taken us through Patch's life up to the 1990s when the Patch Adams film came out. 
In the next episode, we get into the making of the movie, Patch's friendship with Robin Williams, and Patch reunites with Mike Farrell from the iconic TV show MASH, who was instrumental in shepherding the story of Patch's early years onto the big screen. Stay tuned for episode seven, Patch Goes to Hollywood. It's the best day of my life. Patch Adams' journey to the Nobel Peace Prize nomination is produced by Rainbow Valentine Studios. Produced by Lars and Patch Adams, Rainbow Valentine, and Thessaly Lerner. Produced and edited by Stuart Hooper. Directed by Thessaly Lerner. Scored, mixed, and mastered by Ryan Reeves. Narrated by Rainbow Valentine. Music by Hope for a Golden Summer, The Ukulele, and Noodle McDoodle. Theme song and Patch's Virtue Rag by Noodle McDoodle. Thanks to Derek Busby, our partners at Pantheon Podcasts, and you, our audience. Just a reminder, this series is produced by a team of all volunteers excited to shift the media's narrative towards stories that infuse hope, joy, and inspiration into human brains. If you can help us in any way, swing by rainbowvalentine.com and send us an email, rainbowvalentineparty at gmail.com. I'm Rainbow Valentine. Thanks for listening. Raise a glass to the downfall of evil. Mwahaha. <laughs>